Imagine if you knew exactly what everyone else at work was getting paid. How do you think that would work out? Well, my guest today is Paulina Tenner. She's the founder of Grantree, and their transparent financial policy means that they know what everyone else in the company is taking home. So we'll be discussing company culture, how to ensure yours is right, and how to invest in your employees. Plus, we're going to dig into some lessons she learned as a burlesque dancer, which helped her in the world of business. Let's start the show. Let's get straight into it. So why is, why, why is culture so important? God, because we're not in business just to make money. Uh, we're in business to create an impact. We're in business to, bloody hell, have a good time. You know, yeah. if we're not having a good time, then from my perspective, at least, it's not worth doing what we're doing. And so did you have a bad experience of culture, which made you care about it so much and really mm-hmm. look into how to make it better? Or did you feel the benefits of a good culture and you wanted to replicate that? I have contracted also as a sales girl. So we, we've, you know, we <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, have similar experience there for a few international kind of corporations doing BD of some sort. And yeah, the cultural experience wasn't great. I mean, I was the remote worker because I was working for a Polish company first, then for a German company um, that sold hardware. And it wasn't a great experience. And then I started my first company with a guy that was much older than me and there was this kind of disparity on the team so we were meant to be co-founders but I was actually more of a I felt a bit more like an apprentice and he was the big boss and uh, there were a few things that made me feel like okay if I do this again I don't want to see this this and this in my company Um, and my co-founder he used to be at Accenture before he got into the startup world and likewise, he saw quite a few things that he didn't like. You know, he kind of talks to me still about, you know, things that he had to do to keep people's morale up while everybody like was bored to death and really not interested in what the company was doing at all. Um, and we felt that there must be a better way. There must be a way to really keep people engaged and to create a kind of workplace where people can really explore the mastery you know because we don't work so that we can make enough money so that one day perhaps uh, in our spare time we do something we actually enjoy and care about i think we worked really as a fundamental expression of who we are as, as as human beings i think that's how we should work that's super interesting so how do you cultivate that environment where people feel like they are doing that First of all, you treat them like adults. And that might sound obvious, but most workplaces these days still don't. Um, so what does that mean, not yeah, to treat someone as an adult? That yeah. means quite a lot, actually, because that means empowering people to make some crucial decisions about how they work, when they work, where they work from, how much they're paid, which in my company people do, and how the companies run, um, and uh, what have at least an influence on what its future is. And if people don't have that power, feels like they're just coming somewhere to do and kind of A to B kind of job, but they don't really engage with it at all. In fact, you know, early on at Grantree, I mean, we, we must have been maybe three years back then. We had this like first uh, self-performance, um, self-managing kind of system was a whiteboard with ticks and people put ticks against goals that they set for themselves. And one of our people at the time told us that she felt like she was in a kindergarten. 
because she wasn't here to just to get a gold star, but she was here because we cared about what we did. Right. Um, and that's when we realized, hang on a second, you know, maybe it's not just about commissions and really trying to motivate people very hard to perform. Maybe it's about kind of waking up that intrinsic motivation and aligning what it is that we do with how people want to genuinely contribute in their lives, like what they want to see change ideally in the world. So when you talk about um, telling people when they can work and so on and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Do you think, and I'm not saying this is the case, do you think that people can be trusted to do that? If you say to some people, you say like, work whenever you want to work. Okay. Are they going to get enough work done? How do you ensure that you're still getting the results from these people and they're putting enough effort in, even though they can work when they want? So whether you can trust them or not, it's entirely up to you. Because, you know, as uh, Douglas McGregor talks about those two theories, theory X and theory Y, and within theory X, you need to basically scare people into performance because they're lazy, they're like, really don't care about doing stuff. And unless you really kind of uh, judge them very harshly and put some rigid consequences in place, if they don't perform, they won't perform. And the theory why says that people are actually wired to do great things. And um, it's up to us as founders to create circumstances and environments where it's easier for them to do great things. And I think it starts from the belief of the founder of the leader. Do you believe that people are fundamentally wired to do great things? Do you believe that people are lazy motherfuckers, excuse my French, and need to be scared into performance? And then... um, Partially, it's definitely up to you as a founder or a leader uh, creating the right systems for people to be able to work within. So how does performance get actually assessed? Because I think it's only human nature that even if we care about something very deeply, if there is no kind of metrics in place at all in terms of helping me assess how well I'm doing, we'll start caring less. So it is up to us to, A, believe that people are fundamentally wise to do great shit. Like, I really believe that we are. And um, secondly, it's up to us to create the kind of environments where there are appropriate systems, metrics put in place so people can um, kind of prop themselves up with those systems. Great. I mean, I I completely agree with what you're saying. I don't think fear actually helps anyone do anything. It just stagnates Mm -hmm. you. If you have fear, you're like... You don't want to take a risk, you know, and if you don't take that risk, helps you, maybe yeah. some people, but I don't yeah. don't believe in it as a kind of management tool. It I might make you don't. run away faster from like, you know, a wolf. Okay? <laughs> but I don't think it's going to help you in the office. Yeah. Okay. So if you're in that, um, so what would be your, and we're going to come to the pay thing in a minute, because I think everyone is fascinated by the pay yeah, thing, yeah, but I don't yeah. want to dwell on that yet. What are you, what are some key functional things that founders who are listening to the show can put into place? to give people that empowerment and that freedom and treat them as an adult? What are some key things they could put in? Okay, so number one, uh, transparent financials. And that will be tricky for some people, particularly those that are worried about losing control and giving up control and distributing power. But I think empowered workplaces in general are going in that direction. So normally in traditional hierarchical, hierarchical companies that you know have run and been like that since Ford's factory, the, you know, when the big, since the beginning of the 20th century, information is hidden and information is accessible to some chosen elite. 
And um, that creates massive dis disproportions and that creates political games because some people use the fact they have access to more information than others to their advantage. And if you make information freely available, and that would be information to do with companies' financials, with pay, who is being paid what, what the company is spending money on, um, that really limits those kind of shush, shush, water cooler conversations and uh, political struggles. So I would, if I were you, um, as a early stage founder who is looking to create an equitable workplace, I would look at making information free available. And also, as early as possible, um, spend some time to really discern who are we as a company? What do we care about? You know, another way of saying what are our values. But uh, what does it actually mean to be one of us? What does it mean? What kind of behaviors do we want to reward? Because that's how culture is created, by rewarding behaviors that you care about. Um, many people have, have those posters on the wall with a list of values, but actually uh, the values that they live on a daily basis are, you know, formed out of what behaviors they reward. Fantastic. I mean, really good advice. I, yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more with the, uh, the motivation. Um, so let's talk about the pay so how sure. did you how did you come to the conclusion that you want everyone in your company to both know what everyone was getting paid and then also decide how much they get paid? Pretty early on, Daniel and I, uh, my co-founder, just realized that we wanted to run a slightly different workplace, that we didn't want to. Actually, I remember that day when we kind of hired a business consultant. He came in and he drew on our beautiful whiteboard an org chart and he said, this is what you're going to look like in five years. And there's going to be the CEO, CTO, CFO, CMO, CSO. And these are going to be the reporting lines, etc. And our hearts like sank because we thought, well, this is exactly the kind of workplace that we've been trying to escape. So um, we, that very day, we started researching, like what else is possible? What else are people doing in terms of how they manage themselves within organizations? Um, and how they, you know, manage to actually get things done as well, <laughs> which is kind of important. Um, and we came across this guy who is an absolute genius. If you're watching this, look up his TED talk. He's called Ricardo Semler. Uh, and he is what I call the grandfather of open culture, because in the 80s of the last century, he implemented transparent financials and self-set pay in a com manufacturing company in Brazil. Uh, that was that had thousands of employees already at that point and he was like in his early 20s he was just taking the company over from his father and he's now doing the same within the educational system in brazil he's creating self-managing schools where uh, students manage budgets and kind of define the values and it's fascinating i mean i wish i was able when i have a kid to put, put him or her in, in a school like that but where i'm going with this is that um we decided, okay, if he was able to implement it in in a massive company, in a very bureaucratic space uh, in the 80s, then surely we should be able to use something similar. So we kind of had that as a vague idea and goal. With transparent financials, we actually have been transparent from the time that we started. It kind of organically happened because when we started recruiting people, the first one I think was... Uh, somebody to help with client management, then an office manager. And all of them, for pragmatic reasons, had access to company accounts. 
And then as we hired more people, we saw no reason to give some people access and some people not. You know, that would have been weird. But with the, with the salary, so from the very beginning, people knew what everybody else was being paid. But with the self-set pay, we had this kind of North Star of what Ricardo Semler achieved in his company, Semco. And the first step towards that was creating, we created a committee, we called, called them money pennies, uh, people from like different departments of the company that uh, looked at salaries across the board. So defined what should be the grand tree pay system. So kind of grew, drew the matrix and there are like several different things, several different ways in which companies reward people. Like, for example, Japanese system is very different to a US system. Uh, it could be seniority-based, it could be performance-based, it could be um, experience-based, it could even be needs-based, that somebody has a large family, therefore has a need to and more. And we decided we're going to base our matrix on a complexity of somebody's job and the uncertainty that they have to face in their work on a daily basis. So that committee uh, placed everybody, so looked at salaries, kind of defined how we're going to so we kind of set a target, like in our industry, approximately like 30% in our stage of development as a company, approximately 30% um, of um, revenues should go into the salary pot. So that's what we've done. And then we knew how much was available and then we needed to kind of divvy it out. So uh, we placed people on that matrix um, and that was supported by peer-to-peer -peer reviews. So everybody in the company had to write three reviews and receive three about how complex um, your role is. So you got to write about yourself and you also got free reviews from, from other people. And that kind of committee collated all of those reviews and that helped them decide where people should sit on that seniority versus com uh, uncertainty matrix. Um, and that was kind of our first attempt to do something that would be equitable and fair. Is there such a thing as fair book? Because... We even create something that's absolutely fair to everybody? I'm not sure. So um, that was the first step towards it. And then maybe a couple of years later, we felt like, okay, we've kind of reached a stage in a cultural evolution where it feels safe and possible to actually ask people to review their salaries on their own um, at least twice a year. And then there is a process for that. So they need to have been doing their self-assessments, monthly self-assessments for at least six months, monthly. Um, so they write up kind of a narrative of based on particular questions, um, how well they're doing, what they've achieved in the last month. And they have feedback on that from one of their colleagues, one of their peers. So they need to have submitted six of those. And then they need to do, a, do an extensive market research of how much they're actually worth on a job market at the moment so people speak to recruiters some even interview for competitors um, and then they put together a case basically which is uh, then discussed with a budget holder for their circle because we have a, a holocratic system so we don't use hierarchy um, and then they decide it's up to them they decide to implement it or not based on feedback they receive knowing that if the feedback is like very strongly, this is not realistic, like you're way out of, you know, line, like it's not really, if they decide to implement it, they need to deal with all the negative feedback and conflicts that arise. 
So we have had a situation when somebody decided to pay themselves for something that they were, a job that they were about to, they were planning to do, but didn't actually move into that level or into that position. And they received very strong feedback that, you know, from all parts of the company, like, mate, what are you doing? Um, And um, they lowered their salary later on. Did they stay? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Great. That makes perfect sense. I mean, it's 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 definitely progressive. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, founders thinking, I hope people don't tell me they want to get paid more. Um, but, <laughs> okay. No, I, I believe you should always pay people as much as they feel they should be get, getting paid. You know, like it should, I think that's what you should be doing as a founder all the time. Yeah, and I think if you ask yeah. people to tell you how much they think that they should be getting paid and you ask someone how much they think they're worth, people are usually pretty reasonable. It's very rare that you get someone who has a completely delusional idea. And most of that process you've spoken about, I think if you trust someone to give yeah. them that control, most people will do it well. I agree with you. It's a huge responsibility. I've even heard people say, you know what? All things considered, I wish you were making that decision for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. So I have people saying that. Mm. And it comes out of this culture of like really taking responsibility for stuff and really looking at the bigger picture. So you need to be culturally ready to implement something like this. Yeah. How many people are at Grand Tree? Uh, 40-something. It's enough of an example to see that it works. Yeah, great. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So on the culture piece, you um, you talk a lot about investing in your people. Okay, mm-hmm. so when when we talk about that, what does that actually mean? Is it just a case of just offering them training, or like what what do you mean by investing in your people? Um, creating space where people can explore themselves. So what we kind of talked about, um, because I think that people are wired to um, do great things and to really find out how much they're capable of, given they're in the right uh, environment, backed by the right structure, ideally to help them. Um, so it could mean investing in training and we've had a training budget for a while, but more than anything else, you know, we become fuller, more wholesome human beings through the life experience and where life kind of guides us. So creating the kind of setup where people, for example, through self-management have to solve their own conflicts, have to give and receive difficult feedback, uh, where people need to kind of figure out from themselves what does it mean to be doing a great job um, in my role. You know, so they need to kind of define the criteria for self-management. So, and and things like giving people authority to decide about their own pay, really responsible stuff. Like that will make you grow and then some when it comes to um, your overall capacity to deal with complexity, human being. Uh, So, creating opportunities and situations where people can grow in these ways and then you know leaving it up to them so not kind of standing there are you growing are you growing (laughs) but like giving them space to progress at their pace and you know there's a lot of things that happen outside of the workplace as well that will influence how you are as as a leader and how you are as a professional so giving space for that we've had a lot of people who had bereavements a lot of people who had their first kid and just work 
kind of not they're standing over you and being like are you performing what have you done like but really creating space for people to through those so important kind of rites of passage in life um to be able to integrate that and at some point like bring it back to their professional capacity i love that i love that so you're someone who is um given all the stuff you say you're obviously comfortable in the uncomfortable um, which I think is great. Not always. Sometimes I curl my toes and all that. Yeah, that's good, but you're still But doing at least it. I know yeah. that it's, okay, I'm in a good place when this is happening. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so I think like that's a, a quote that you made, which um, which I like, is if you're if you're comfortable, you're not going fast enough. Yeah? Yeah. So tell me a bit more about that. Tell me more about as a founder, as a startup, like what level of discomfort should I be in? Should I be in the point where I can't sleep or like what should I be doing? Very good question. And it, there's just no, I wish there was a straight answer. Like, five out of ten like i wish there was a straight answer but everybody needs to gauge them gauge that for themselves and it's gonna be a balancing act between feeling because you talked about being scared and uh how you don't believe and i don't believe either that being scared leads to anything good in the workplace kind of balancing between avoiding the paralysis zone zone on one end and being out of the stagnation zone on the other. So just being somewhere in the middle where you feel like, okay, I'm challenged by this, but I'm positively challenged as opposed to overwhelmed. And there will be moments, it's a startup life, let's face it, where you kind of tread on the, in the overwhelmed territory for a while, but then you need to kind of pull back. And as a leader responsible for the well-being of your people, you can't, and we've made that mistake, I think, as well, you can't keep them always in the growth always in the pushing themselves because that kind of leads to burnout and is not particularly good or healthy so you need to be able to dynamically adjust based on what you think is happening on the ground in the company how people are feeling we've always had a lot of one-to-ones with our people to kind of understand what's happening for them and there is a place where too much change is just destructive and we've been there always working on our culture always changing something and it got to a point where it was a bit much for a lot of people so it's a balancing act uh, it's a balancing act yeah amazing okay so let's move on to um you're about to release a book tell me about what was it that made you want to write the book and what is the what's kind of the key message there Right. So um, maybe I'll start from the end. So I talk about two things, workplaces of the future in the first part of the book and leadership of the future in the second part of the book. And what inspired me is a TEDx talk that you watched, I know, uh, which I gave in 2014, titled What the Business Leader Learned from the Stripper. And the stripper was there because um, at some point, maybe two, three years into running Grand Tree, I felt exhausted and I felt like I've got all this kind of juiciness, rebellious spirit, like appetite to do things and create things. And most of the day I'm just talking to CEOs or CFOs because we are a grant funding company. Most of the time I'm in my head. I don't feel that kind of juiciness and power and creativity that I used to. and. I came across burlesque. I was literally one day walking from a meeting in Piccadilly Circus to Leicester Square and I 
uh, walked past this place called Café de Paris and they had a burlesque rehearsal, um, burlesque show rehearsal. And I just saw those sequins and those like peacock feathers. And I was like, shit, this is like way out there. Like I, in another life, I could do something. And then I just thought in another life, God, like what's stopping me? I could find out how does one become a showgirl? So I, you know, popped a few emails to a few girlfriends and I got this um, uh, website of a burlesque school. I signed up for a course. I started performing and it's been one of the greatest adventures of my life. Amazing. So the book is called Laid Bare, What the Business Leader Learned from the Stripper. And I talk about company culture, uh, startups, investing, since I do a bit of that as well, and about what I think future leadership of the future means and what it looks like interspersed by juicy stories from my burlesque life. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's a big sell. I like yeah, that. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. And so why, um, why should the founders and the people who are listening to this read your book? So first of all, if you are really looking for something different in terms of how you want your company to be structured, how you want it to be governed, if you believe that, like I do, that there is a better way that, you know, our consciousness as humanity really has evolved past the Ford's factories where, you know, people kind of in rows, like put together the car parts and there is the manager standing like, you know, looking at them like a hawk. If you think we are better than that, I think this book can help you or at least plant some seeds uh, in terms of taking your culture to the next level. And also, um, if you are interested in how to be a more wholesome leader, and what I mean by that, what Belesk has done for me is moving from a very kind of goal-oriented, ambition, drive, kind of the masculine leader to being able to integrate the masculinity and the femininity. And I, that's not related to gender. It's a bit like yin and yang. And by feminine leadership, I mean uh, surrender, being able to tune into the moment, being able to tune into your body, into your intuition, being a better listener, being more kind of bigger picture oriented as opposed to just bottom line targets, you know? Mm. <laughs> so um, in the second part of the book, I give quite a lot of advice about what it meant to me to meet my inner guy, he's called Bob, and my inner lady, she's called Freya, and how to kind of uh, get them to communicate. and. Um, help me be a better leader and be kind of I think more wholesome human human being as well so do you think so on that is there a key lesson there that if you want to be a better leader you need to put yourself into an environment where you get to express yourself fully and get to know yourself that's self-awareness is that really what you took from that that journey one of the things yeah definitely I think you need to not even put yourself, but create that environment for yourself and for others yep. where you can really, you know, hone in on your mastery. What does it mean to be me? And just, and see your darkness as well. There's another talk that, you know, you might want to watch called Entrepreneurship and BDSM. Wow. <laughs> and I Is that talk, yours? Yeah, that's wow. mine. And okay. I talk about like how exploring your darkness and tapping into that dark side um, really transforms everything and as an entrepreneur i've had that experience of grant tree that at some point i looked at my company and i'm like hang on a second but this like all of my personal darkness and my kind of weaknesses are reflected back at me at scale in my business 
<laughs> and in the same way, you know, if you're interested in BDSM or kink, it's all about exploring darkness, like diving deep into that kind of those dark places that most people would rather keep hidden. Um, so yes, creating an environment where you can hone in on your mastery and explore explore your weakness and transform it as well. For our um listeners, BDSM. Uh it's how would I well bondage, domination, submission, so kind of kinky, out of the ordinary sexual behaviors. Great. So for this series, we're doing uh, something we call the Startup Sin Bin, where I want to ask founders a um, really simple question. If there's one behavior that you see among startups, because you're an investor and a founder, mm-hmm. you're like, just stop that fucking shit. Okay. What would it be? Okay. So this interesting timing, because this morning I got news that one of my startup investments is basically going south because the founder didn't disclose to shareholders that they were undergoing legal proceedings with a company in the US. They just forgot. Or I, I don't know what happened. I just, in my world, that's not possible. So transparency and honesty is absolutely key because now it's going to bite them in the, in the backside so much harder. Uh, there's a family office that invested in that company, a VC, and I'm just a very minority shareholder very very small shareholder but still it's just it just doesn't look great and whatever that founder because things happen in the startup life but whatever they choose to do next like that reputation will follow them so um really be honest be transparent with your staff with yourself with your investors um if you're not it's just nothing good is going to come out of it it's great advice all right thanks so much for coming on it's been great good luck with the book thank you